Welcome everyone to this week's episode of In the Know with Kat Bobino. Today, my extra special guest is Kevin Nichols. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And Kevin Nichols is known as the social engineer. So why don't we explain what is a social engineer? Well, the social engineer comes from a uh, quote uh, by one of my uh, favorite um, lawyers. His name was Charles Hamilton Houston. He used to uh, litigate cases before um, Brown versus Board of Education. And he said that uh, a lawyer is either a social engineer or a parasite on society. So mm-hmm. although it doesn't really mean that we're all lawyers, but we all are either part of the problem or part of the solution. So my goal is to uh, rally people around certain causes and, and make a difference. Okay, so we've already stepped into that. Let's keep going. What are some of the causes that you are a part of and that you're working on? Uh, I tend to uh, gravitate to about four different areas of things that are very important to me. One is uh, the lack of diversity in the tech industry as mm-hmm. being one of them. Another one is um, the lack of um, a lack, the lack of uh, basically or the disparities in health for African Americans. Uh, I try to I have a wellness group that um, try to get people out outdoors and get some exercise as well as eat healthily, uh, things of that nature. So uh, health is a very important thing to me. Uh, politics, as you know, uh, empowering mm-hmm. African Americans and getting involved in the political process. And then uh, the last thing is relationships. So uh, if you notice uh, on my social media and other places where I I have a presence, I focus on uh, something that's inspirational. I also focus on something that's a little funny, that's more of a, (laughs) it's more uh, akin to my personality, but then I was about uh, to say, some of the ones I see, they be like, this is what you don't want to do. Like, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then you'll see something, a tip on uh, relationships. And my goal really there is just try to help people have healthy relationships and to ultimately try to reduce the, the divorce rate uh, in our African-American community. Yeah. So you're either working on the very highs or the very lows, you know, mm-hmm. the low of which is the lack of diversity in tech, the lack of diversity uh, working in politics, the high, which is that high amount of uh, divorce rate, mm-hmm. and then I guess health would be in the middle a little bit. Well, mm-hmm. high, because we uh, tend to be on the outskirts of diabetes, of uh, you know, um, a lot of cancer and other forms of like you know, chronic disease, you know, heart disease, et cetera. We tend to be on the higher level, especially because of weight and other things. So making sure that we're all healthy and trying to live a, a productive life as possible. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. So being a social engineer, like what made you want to get into these four different, very, very different fields, but still being a part of it? Like what made you want to jump into this type of stuff? Well, um, I have, uh, he may not know it, but I have a a person who I kind of idolize somewhat. Uh, I'd say Van Jones is like a a hero to me in a lot of ways, but kind of what Van did is kind of how I've mirrored my career and my life right now. Uh, Van basically came into taking on causes that were important to him. So starting the Ella Baker Center and uh, Green for All, and uh, you know working now on the you know rebuild the dream and and uh, fixing the prison to pipeline um, pipe pipeline to prison pipeline. Yeah, and, uh, he's working on that initiative. So he creates organizations and movements and uh, and then goes to something else. 
Okay. And uh, that kind of, I always used to tell myself that I have to focus on one thing and do that really well. Um, and I've kind of taken my own advice with regards to tech. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't mean I have to choose one. And it doesn't mean that I can't make progress in other areas that are important to me. So that's why I do, uh, I, I used to run the African American Wellness Project. Mm -hmm. And that was centered around health. Um, yeah, I was a delegate for the California uh, Democratic Party. Uh, so I've been involved in politics. I've ran campaigns for people. So I've kind of been in, in all of the different areas and somewhat uh, married and divorced. So I guess I've got some experience in that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. yeah, so basically, uh, you know, taking those four areas and what I've learned and how to uh, affect other people's lives so that they don't make the same mistakes, but also uh, we make progress. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, I mean, that's very admirable, you know, using what's happening in your world trying to take that out to the rest of the world and make sure things go hopefully mm -hmm. according to plan as mm -hmm. well as having all of this different um, different loves for different things and, and being able to express it. Like it's one of the things I've talked about is no one is telling you you have to do one thing only. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just because you love one thing, which could be in science, tech, engineering, math, doesn't mean you can't love something else and be a part of something else. That's true. So, but then let's go back to that science, tech, engineering, math. Let's talk about technology since that's your field. Mm -hmm. So, what have you done in technology? Like, what are, and what is your um, desire in technology? Well, my desire is to really look, at, have a serious look at the one to three percent of African Americans that are in the tech industry now, and figure out a way to uh, get more of us in there. And uh, by doing that, a addressing some of the fallacies, I would like to say, or the, the concerns that industry has of saying that there's a lack of a pipeline. Well, building a pipeline, so that's no longer an excuse. But also um, from the inside and or outside, changing the culture in tech so that uh, we're not always recruiting from the top tier schools and thinking that we're going to get diversity that way, mm -hmm. um, but actually expanding our horizons and getting into other uh, schools, other majors, and then uh, taking chances on uh, us to be able to do the same type of work that other people do and, and then getting us in the middle level of companies so that we are actually hiring more people that look like us. Absolutely. So um, in that aspect, are you working on that pipeline that has to deal with uh, getting students from HBCUs and getting them into, this, into these programs? Because I know you said top tier, which usually doesn't include HBCUs, but they, it does sometimes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, creating that pipeline for HBCUs? Uh, not directly. So uh, I've, uh, I'm the founder, a co-founder of a, a social impact venture called the Social Engineering Project. And uh, my business partner is a professor at Stanford uh, named Brian Brown who te teaches science education. And so right. my, uh, our goal pretty much is to focus, focus right now on the pipeline piece to that um, high school and middle school is where we're we're focused okay but um, <clears throat> we understand that the, the problem is bigger than that uh, there's actually I th there's four areas that, that we'd like to have impact but whether or not we're able to do that uh, I don't know but we're focusing on one piece to make sure that we do that well uh, that's pipeline then we have uh, the second component is uh, fixing that gap you're talking about as far as schools go so we're there are organizations like UNCF that has a STEM-focused, uh, Chad Womack uh, is, heads that. And they're getting black colleges outside of the, the, the Ivy League of the black colleges, you know, the Morehouse, mm -hmm. Spelman, and Howard's. 
But uh, going outside of that and getting more black students into connecting with tech companies. So they're doing a really good job with that. And there are other programs out there that are geared to give legitimacy to other schools out there. But what we would like to see is getting tech people out here, tech companies to invest in, you know, HBCUs, as well as looking here locally in other big cities where there are state schools that have great programs that black kids are coming from that they're not recruiting from too. So getting, okay. getting black students in the pipeline mm -hmm. and then convincing companies to actually gamble on hiring them uh, is what we're, we're hoping to, to do. Okay. So just making sure that, um, so you and your partner are trying to get students, uh, especially students of color, starting in middle school, starting through high, high, school, school, high school, going on to college and coming on back here and working in tech. So I talked about the first two pro prongs of that four. The, the third and fourth component are, A, uh, the third part is training adults to enter technology. So once you, I guess you're 30, uh, over 30, you're over the hill when it comes to technology. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, That's you know, true. they're not recruiting, you know, a lot, uh, et cetera. So you have to be able to develop skills, coding and otherwise, to be able to enter technology. So the goal, President Obama, our, our former president, uh, invested in initiative uh, and, and resources in getting adults trained so they could enter some of these technology fields. But now, um, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but that's, uh, we recognize and understand that that's important. Yeah. And then the, the fourth one would be uh, something that I do personally, and I think it's very important. It's called, uh, well, I just like to refer to it as networking. And um, whether you go to a, a Ivy League, HBCU, or Harvard, Yale, or, Spel or Stanford, excuse me, uh, it's all about the networks that come from those schools that you go to. So right. if you don't know how to network and you don't know how to uh, build coalitions and be able to leverage that network when it comes to looking for a job, et cetera, you're at a disadvantage. And especially if you come to technology and you're interested in starting your own company, you're not going to have access to funding or anything like that if you don't have a network of people that know you and would be willing to vouch for you and yeah. make an opportunity, a door open that would normally be closed for you. Yeah, I think that that is true throughout STEM. So I think a lot of times people don't, it's a stereotype people would like to put on scientists, but you're in the lab, you're doing your work, you're not social, you're not talking to people. But that's not 100% true, but it is true on the part of networking. I mean, they do have conferences. They do have opportunities for you to do, like, a poster presentation. But if you're not doing that and you're not out there, same thing in tech, same thing in math. Now, engineering, especially for people of color, there's Nesby, and they will help you. You right. know, they'll help you find something. Mm -hmm. But I don't even – I could be wrong, but I don't know of anything in math that's on that on that level. Yeah, uh, it's it's tough. So I was one of those kids that really liked school for some reason. <laughs> uh, so, Don't worry about it. I like school, so too. So I just started, I started in seventh grade going to May, the MESA program, which is Mathematics, Engineering, Science Achievement. Mm -hmm. And I was going to that in seventh grade. All my summers I spent there. My Saturdays during school, I would go to Cal. Yeah. And then uh, I got into some other programs that, during the summer in high school that I still studied a lot of math and science. And um, those programs, some of those programs still exist now, but um, one of the reasons why I started doing high school programs and doing the overnight camping conference that I'm doing for, for uh, the social engineering project and high school students is that something that I went to as a student. And when I was uh, in high school and Nesby put it on, 
And then uh, when I was in Nesbian College, I chaired them. So I did that for about two years, chairing these conferences, taking mm-hmm. 250 kids camping to learn math, science, and engineering. Nice. And then a couple years ago, I went to them and said, look, uh, we need this these camps more than ever now that we're having 1% of us are, yeah. are in, in, in tech. And they said that they don't, they no longer have the numbers of students in the chapters as they did back when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And they don't, uh, and they don't have the resources. So I said, well, they still need to happen. Yeah. So I'm going to make them happen. So right. what I'm doing is fundraising and organizing and plan to do those camps again and do them annually. That's me. good. Yeah, that's so. real good. I know uh, Mesa is still around. It mm-hmm. may not be as big as it used to be, but mm-hmm. I know Mesa still exists. I, I've heard that I think it's like in Central California or something like that. I don't know if there's a local campus that used to be at Cal. I don't think it's there. I don't think it's at Sac State. I don't really there's know. There's a um, Mesa at Cal State East Bay. Oh, really? Okay. And there's yeah. a... Um, no, there's Mesa in San Francisco somewhere, but it's in the Bay because last year I was the host for their their games, oh. so the Mesa games, and they had it at uh, UC Davis, mm-hmm. and uh, I know so I I know for a fact it was one from Cal State because that's where I go, but mm-hmm. I know there was a, quite a bit in the Bay those. area. I used to yeah. go to those all the time. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. cool. Like seeing some of the projects they did. Egg and, drop. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had that. They yeah. had um, paper airplanes, but like for real, super mm-hmm. duper paper airplanes. Okay. They digestive tracks they had to build. I mean, it was cool. And then they mm-hmm. did they do testing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you put the best in math, and they do a math test, and then whoever won that one, you know, got the mm-hmm. best on the score. So they still have it. It's still out here. I just don't think it's as big as it used to be. Well, we need to make you know people aware of these programs still, and, and allow them to. You know, have that as an option. Um, and my focus right now, especially for young people, is that there's a lot of emphasis on coding, and um, mm-hmm. and, and that prepares students to get an interest in that. And eventually, we'll have a job, uh, an entry level job possibly, <laughs> in the future. But yeah. uh, without getting them motivated, inspired to go into math, science, and chemistry and physics, if you can't get past math one A, physics one A, or chemistry one A. You're going to be at a really big disadvantage when it comes to going into a technical major and or um, just even graduating into a different, you know, to go on to grad school. So I would really encourage people to focus on that math and chemistry and physics and, uh, and, I, then, and everything agree. else will fall into place for them. They can become doctors, lawyers, you know, accountants, whatever, but yeah. uh, without getting comfortable um, and not being afraid of math and science, it's going to be a tough road. Yeah, I I understand that because um, I don't know the number, but in the Bay Area, we have so many nonprofits that are supposedly STEM, but they're mostly coding. Mm -hmm. They're mostly computers. And so I don't see, again, I could be wrong, I don't see a lot of these nonprofits that are geared towards children as teaching math, for sure, math is for every reason it's always on the lowest on the totem pole um but science too mm-hmm. i don't see that i know that they're putting engineering in common core mm-hmm. for in teaching so i think engineering is starting to make a rise now but like like you said it's coding yeah. that's well, like it when you're thinking about it though i mean math and you know physics and those and chemistry even those courses are very hard to teach you know it takes a really good uh teacher who has a, a, a firm grasp on these areas in order to 
impart that wisdom onto students. And a lot of times it's intimidating for teachers to, you know, do that. And then if you, you know, if you look at some of these problems, you know, you've been away from it for a while. You look at Algebra 2 or something like that, and you're like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and no. so it's I've like, been looking you know, at that with statistics. <laughs> like, uh. So you have to really, it's something that you have to, you have to get teachers motivated to be current and to, to really fall in love with it and then be able to impart that knowledge to other kids and get them excited about it too. So that's the hard part. But just because it's hard doesn't mean you don't do it. You yeah. Have to, that's just one of the challenges. You know? No, no, I completely understand. Like like I said, I look at statistics now, or even algebra probably. I haven't looked at algebra in who knows how long. And just I probably would look, it would probably look like a foreign language. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. It's just It's just one of those things that, you know, when I, I do this show, and I talk about STEM all the time, and I, I get to meet a lot of people through this show, and I always say, well, if you watch the show and you find someone who you're interested in, let me know. I can introduce you. Um, I don't think I've had a math person yet, though. Like, math, mm-hmm. even as an adult, you know, it's hard. I, not to say I don't know them. I only know two, two brothers mm-hmm. in math, and they're not here, though. They're mm-hmm. in Dallas and L.A., and I don't know. It's a difficulty. Well, you have to go to academia, I believe, for that. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know too many people that apply math in a, in their day to day, you know, work. I think once we're our age or older, it's like you're you're uh, there's a disconnect from you being on the front lines of that stuff uh, directly. So you're more in management or you know product development and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Your con- conceptual theory, innovation, but not so much crunching numbers, but yeah, it's so for I guess if you're like an accountant, and one of the things, one of the people I'm trying to figure out who they are, mm-hmm. and I want to get them on the show is uh, whoever do the statistics for the A's or the Giants, mm-hmm. or you know someone who takes all of those numbers for the sports. Mm-hmm. I don't you're, talking about, you're talking about betting? You know, you're talking about going to... No, 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 no. Like, like baseball I'm averages teasing, and teasing, stuff. Uh, you know, somebody does that, and that is a math background. True. But uh, anyway, we digress, time. and now we're back to you. <laughs> All right. So um, you went to Cal, right? Yes. And what did you study while you were in Cal? I came in as a mechanical engineering major, and uh, I finished up as a political science and African-American studies major. So what made you switch? I had a great internship uh, at Lawrence Livermore Natural Laboratory through uh, the Inroads program mm-hmm. as a mechanical engineering major. Nice. Uh, intern. And I realized I didn't want to do engineering. <laughs> <laughs> so I pretty much from seventh grade on to my freshman, sophomore year, thought I, I was going to be an engineer. And then after that experience, I just decided I didn't want to be an engineer anymore. Okay. But I, I always um, realized how important math and science was. And then, um, so I've kind of, in a way, I feel like I'm still in engineering because I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer in my mind, but I'm doing it socially. So um, through networking, through sharing information, through uh, organizing people and uh, rallying around certain movements, I think is how I'm in engineering things now. <laughs> okay. And so with the programs that you have now and the things that you're uh, working on, what do you see in the next five years or what would you like to see in the next five years? In the next five years, um, I actually give a lot of thought to this. Uh, my goal really would be to uh, invest, find a way to uh, work on this problem in tech 
from a, a, a number of different ways. And that would be a um, either positioning myself or working with companies to help them identify. You know, a lot of these companies, have, as you might know, about a year, year and a half ago, said that they were going to invest anywhere from $50 million to $300 million at fixing their diversity, diversity issues. Front. Yeah. But, you know, oftentimes when you ask them, okay, what are they going to do with this money? It's very vague as far as um, how much it costs to do with the things that they want to do and where they intend to spend the money. And so what I'd like to do, since I've been born and raised in the Bay Area at least, I'm very familiar with a lot of organizations and a lot of people on the ground that are doing great work and uh, could help companies steer the, their investment in the right places mm-hmm. and then help uh, keep those organizations accountable for you know, when that money is spent, um, what they're actually doing with it. And not necessarily, sometimes you have to invest in your people and you need to bring the salaries up so that people will stay and do what they're supposed to do. But you also want to raise all this money and then just pay people um, to get rich. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, uh, the actual programs itself are are not up to the, the standard or the par that they should be um, with the amount of investment that's happening. So if you're going to be able to affect kids and get them interested in this, you should be able to develop programs that will keep them engaged and then track that so that they can uh, see where their money's going. So that I'd like to get into something like that in okay. the next five years. Um, so I want to ask you this, and I mean, I have my own opinions about some people in these fields, mm-hmm. but not everyone, but um, diversity inclusion officers. Like, I know a lot of companies are starting mm-hmm. to have that title available and they're starting to bring in people that's a diversity inclusion mm-hmm. person. But I mean, well, I'm not going to say what I say. What do you think about that? Like, do you see that working or do you know people who are doing that and they're actually doing programs? I know a ton of people that have that title and, um, there are different ways of getting to that title. So some people have worked in companies for a period of time and it's just from a natural progression. Uh, they happen to be a female or happen to be black or something, mm-hmm. that they get promoted to that position, you know, um, but that doesn't keep them there. So while they're there, I think their job is to um, understand the culture of that particular company and uh, have an ear to the C-suite to say, you know, this is what, make recommendations based upon what they think should happen in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem lies, and this is, uh, I've done some research on this and talked to some people that I know in this position. The conundrum for people that are uh, directors of diversity are, you know, their, their goal is to diversify the company and they're looking at the numbers and trying to have an impact on them. Mm-hmm. But in order to make the business case for diversity, it's oftentimes the C-suite is not necessarily 100% convinced that just getting diverse people are really going to make a difference and or affect their bottom line. Right. And so uh, when they do instruct their recruiting teams, and et cetera, to, to get new talent, they almost side with and continue to go with the continue the, the normal uh, philosophy of going to the Harvard, Yale, and Stanford right. to get black folks because at the end of the day, if they hire somebody and they don't work out, Rather than pointing to their skin color, they can say, well, you know, they went to Harvard or Yale. I mean, well, what, I mean if yeah. they don't work out, they don't work out. Right. You know? But if you if they went to Jackson State or Tuskegee, <laughs> you know, what I'm well, like, we're never getting anybody from Jackson State yeah. or Tuskegee again. So it's like it's almost like they're in an awkward and a bad position to begin with because if they advocate and try to get 
go outside the norm and get us there, if we don't perform or meet the same standards as everybody else does, that's it for whoever yeah, comes, comes after, after. Them, right? And that's right. not that's not fair, but that's the way that it is. And so we need to a make sure we're providing the best talent we can uh, to make sure that when they make the business case to to step outside the norm and get more of us in there that we don't let them down and make them look bad and embarrassed with the C-suite. Right. So that that's my take on directors of diversity and the problems that they have. And um, I have friends of mine that have been applying, trying to get into tech, and they have a different perspective, um, but they feel <laughs> as though that there's really, all of those are just like um, weight pushers, you know, paperweight pushers, you know, yeah. and they're not really... Uh, sticking their neck out and not really going out to try to get people that are qualified in there. They feel as though there's there's no real middle management or hiring managers that are willing to gamble. So you can increase the pipeline as much as you want. If people aren't going to hire them, it's really use, it's a useless job. Right, and, yes. and I, I kind of agree with that a little bit. I'm not 100%, but it's like you said, it's hard. You know, you mm-hmm. it's a catch-22. You're trying to be the token who's bringing in other people, but you got to make the C-suite happy. Mm-hmm. But then the other people down here are just like, what about us? Like, I can do it too, just like they can. But it's, it's a difficult thing. So their job is really to know their companies, have an impact in changing their culture. You know, and that's a big job. Um, but they need to do that job. Because yeah. the companies need to realize that it's not diverse. If everybody at your company works at Harvard, went to Harvard, Yale, or, or Stanford, that's not a diverse company. Yeah. I mean, even though they're people that look different. Right. They're very, it's not a diverse company. It's not diverse. Right? And so diversity comes with, with greater things. Like even the products and services that these companies, you know, make and sell. African Americans are the number one consumer in the world. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if you don't have black people at the table when you're designing products or when you're selling products to us or marketing products to us, it's kind of doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, uh, you're going to get your money from us, but you don't want to hire us. But you don't want us to be at the table <laughs> helping you decide on the best practice to get our money. Well, yeah, we could go on for a while. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got about four minutes left. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give you an opportunity if you wanted to highlight any of your programs, do any mm-hmm. shout outs for anything you want to say. Here's your opportunity to do that. Well, I'd like to direct your audience to our website, uh, thesocialengineer.org. Uh, the and uh, we basically um, are around to get middle school students interested in math and science, as well as uh, an overnight camping conference that I'm currently raising funds for. And you can go to the website and, and make a donation. Um, we are not a nonprofit, but we do uh, have a fiscal sponsorship that uh, can get you the 501c3 uh, status and, and don- donation that you need, if, if should you need that. Um, but ultimately, I um, want to send a shout-out to my business partner, uh, Dr. Brian Brown, who's doing tremendous work over at Stanford. Uh, all of the people that are involved with the project have, have donated to the project, support the product project, I really appreciate. Um, getting back to... Uh, just diversity in general uh, and where we are today as uh, a country as well as professional African-Americans throughout the, the Bay Area. Uh, I think that 
in some sense, I think that we needed uh, this wake-up call that we have. I think the time is right for us to uh, organize and be prepared to, uh, I mean, nothing's really changed for us. We're on a local level, have to uh, advocate for our children. We have to get more of us into uh, the professional field in general, getting us into technology and making sure that these companies are making products and services for us and that we're at the table um, when that happens and we also reap the benefits from that happening. Um, there was a study. How much time do I have left? Two minutes. Okay. Or a minute and a half. Okay, there's a, there's a, 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 a study that showed the impact of the lack of diversity in tech will have in the Bay Area community when it comes to real estate and school districts. So if we don't live in the areas that these companies exist in, and if our kids don't go to the schools where they, where those companies are, um, the school districts are not comparable to others. Um, they will be, um, we won't live in those areas and we won't have access to our kids going to free educating, free schools and taking advantage of the free education. So we need to make sure that we are working in these companies, that we reside and live in the areas where these companies are, and we are not afraid to um, use our voice when it comes to our dollars. And I'll just turn to you. I can there you go. So I want to say thank you to Kevin for coming in and being right. a part of this show today. I also want to say thank you to my audience for tuning in and watching this week's episode of In the Knowing Cat with Cat Bobino. Until next week, thank you.